We worship the one who gave his life for us this morning. We remember what he did as we sing these lyrics. We praise him because we know that in our tough times, he's the one that fights on our behalf. Let's stand and praise him this morning. One, two, three. Thank you. 
because of you. We woke up this morning because of you. We have everything that we need. And we are leaning, leaning. We are safe and secure from all open up your Bibles to Exodus. One of the general lessons that we find throughout Scripture is this, that God has a plan for your life. God's designed a plan for your life and a plan for blessing. There's a tension, though, that exists in living out this life and living out this plan. And that tension is this, that it's not always going to be easy. In, in fact, there's going to be opposition. Anybody here have an easy life? Nope. But the reality is we can have a godly life. And, and God has given us the ability to do that. Beginning in Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, one of the things that we see is God's ability to overcome adversity. I can tell you this, when you read the book, the Bible... God's Word, God always wins, which is good. The difficulty is, is when we get into a a time of adversity, how do we respond to that adversity? Because there's some people in the Bible that don't win, but they don't win because they don't lean into God. They don't don't bounce back and really have that, that place where they're connected to God. The other thing that we find in the Bible is different characters in the Bible have had some pretty rough upbringings. A lot of people are going to talk about how bad their childhood was or how bad it was for them growing up or or how bad it was in, in, in all of these things as if it was a handicap within their adversity. And, and they become overwhelmed by these things. All the different things that they have to go through, the difficult past, the dysfunction. I can tell you this, your past does not have to define you. Your past is your past. God defines you. And the ability to overcome adversity and to lean into God and and have that place is called spiritual resilience. It's the ability, as I defined last week, to sustain one's sense of self and purpose through a set of beliefs or principles or values encountering adversity, stress and trauma by using internal and external spiritual resources. In other words, the tools that you use in adversity, both internally and externally, are going to be what help you through adversity and help you to bounce back. And I can tell you the greatest tool you could ever have is a spiritual relationship with God. Having that relationship with God to understand all that's going on. We're picking up and we're going to take a look at the account of Moses' life. I promise you we're not reading all of the book of Exodus. But we will be taking a look at a number of different verses in the life of Moses because Moses had a, a difficult life within this. By this time... In Exodus, the descendants of Jacob were in Egypt through the actions of Joseph. We studied him last week. And how Joseph had overcome adversity of the rejection of his family, uh, being lied about, and all of the different things that were going on. And so now, the nation of Israel, that it came, they came into Egypt as seven, Jacob's family, 
70 came into the land within this. Now are 430 years later, up to a million. In fact, they've grown so much over this time that they've become a threat. There's a new Pharaoh that Exodus tells us that came into power that didn't know Joseph. He didn't, he didn't line up with anything that was connected with Joseph. And so now you have this vast number of people. And instead of Pharaoh seeing the nation of Israel in this alignment, he saw them as a threat. And so he wanted to exterminate the threat. There were so many of them, he was worried they were going to overthrow his government within this. So he started to oppress the people. Well, God would see the oppression, and he would see the need, and so he would send a deliverer. His name was Moses. And we'll unpack some of that within this. One of the things that I want to focus in is, what made Moses so spiritually resilient, so resilient in such difficult times? You think about this guy. There is, there is one trait that you can see woven all the way through the life of Moses. And that was his communication with God. Moses' spiritual resilience is based off of his face-to-face communication with God. That kept him through a number of different situations. And it's a common thread over and over and over throughout the whole book of Exodus. This is a great read. If you were to read the book of Exodus and just take a look at it from start to finish and note how many times it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses. And Moses spoke to the Lord. It's, a, it's, an abund- it's, it's probably the largest number that we would find in any other of the leaders. But what I want to do is we're going to walk through this a bit and we're going to take a look at the life of Moses. But I do want to stand and read through Exodus chapter 37, verses 7 through 11. So if you would stand and we're going to read that passage. We'll land there. Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. It says this, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of God would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent or his own tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses, note, face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So you can kind of work on following along. We're going to flip back now to Exodus chapters 1 all the way to 2.10 and taking a look at some of the different things. We, we know the account of Moses, at least most of us. Moses was born at a very difficult time. He, this book of Exodus is actually an autobiography of Moses writing of his own life. And he's looking back and he's giving to us the account. And within this time, there was a great oppression. In Exodus chapter 1, all the way through 2.10, it gives us the birth narrative. And Israel is no longer in the land of Canaan. They're in the land of Egypt. Now, to give you an idea of it, if my pointer will work, you can see Jerusalem and Canaan land is up here. Egypt is way over here. And to orient yourself, Midian, which we will talk about a bit later, is here. We'll also speak of a couple of different Mount Sinai's. There's St. Catharines, and this is the, the Sinai Peninsula that's here. And then we'll talk about this over here, which will be what I believe to be the real Mount Sinai within that. At any rate, the nation of Israel was given this land 
But they left this land and they went to Egypt in the land of Goshen. And they were thriving in that land. They were growing in that land at that time. These 70 people went out of the land and they were only supposed to stay in the land for how long? Do you remember? Seven years. There were seven good years and then there was going to be seven bad years. But they stayed longer than they should have. Because the famine was over. They stayed in land. Why? Because everything was going good. The whole family moved over. Was it a bad thing? Not necessarily. Was it God's plan? Yes. Because Egypt would become the incubator for the nation of Israel. Seventy would go in, but he would build from Jacob this nation, and this nation would grow within this. Now, the text tells us that, that in chapter 1, verse 7, that the family had multiplied and became exceedingly numerous. Very large group of people that are in this land of Goshen. This new king came in, didn't know Joseph at all, was afraid of the multiplication. Look at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1. It says this, And then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom whose name was Sifra, and the other's name was Pua, and said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it's a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it's a daughter, then you shall live. Well, what's going on here? This Pharaoh was so afraid that the Israelites were going to take over. These Hebrews were going to take over the whole nation. He said, we've got to stop their growth. And so what Pharaoh had declared was more or less an abortion. What he said was, when the child is birthed to these Egyptian midwives that would come and help the Hebrew midwives, when the child comes out, when you inspect them and you see them, before the midwife has an, or before the mother has an opportunity to do anything, kill the child. Why? Because he wanted all of the males to be weeded out of the Hebrews. It would be a slower process. Because all of the males that were already born would continue to live and to serve. But eventually, if there's no men in the Hebrew nation to carry on their tradition, then what ends up happening to them? They all go away within this. And so these, these midwives were called to destroy the nation this way. He wanted them all dead. Well, the midwives revered God and they said, we're not going to do this. In fact, they practice what we would call today... Civil disobedience. What they would do is they would birth the children and then they would tell Pharaoh a lie because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, which has got a whole lot of, of application to this and within this. And they would say, well, you know, these Hebrew women, they're pretty strong and they would take the babies before we had a chance to do anything. In fact, in Exodus chapter 1, verses 20-21, it says that, so God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied became very mighty because of the midwives' fear of God. What happened was they were saying, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to abort these children. Now, the other thing that I think is interesting is, how do the Egyptian midwives come to a, a place of respecting the Hebrew God? Because the text, when you read that chapter, it says, they respected God, they feared God. Well, there was some kind of evangelism that was going on from the Hebrew nation to the Egyptians. They were talking about the Yahweh God. And so these midwives knew morally we shouldn't do this, but they also knew from the understanding that there is a God, Yahweh God, that is greater than, than all of the gods of Egypt. And so they would put their own life in their own hand and they would disobey Pharaoh in this act of civil disobedience. And so within this, as we read through this at the end of chapter 1, Pharaoh then commanded that every male child was to be cast into the Nile River. Now can you imagine, this is the world that you were being born into. This is the place that you're born into. You think about the difficulty, the oppression, the spiritual oppression, and all of the things that are going on. Now, God looks at this and he says, I've got a plan. Now, is there evil going on within this situation? Absolutely. It's not God's best. It's not what God wants, but he's going to use it. 
And within this, Moses is born into this situation. We come up into chapter 2, and chapter 2 all the way through 10 points out how God's hand was on Moses within this. Moses' uh, mother and father were born of the tribe of Levi. And you say, Carrie, why is that important? Because the tribe of Levi has not been designated by this time as the priestly tribe. Moses was born into the tribe of Levi, and he's pre-qualified to be a priest for the nation of Israel before the priesthood is even established. Is that God's sovereignty? Absolutely. Mom and dad are both of the tribe of Levi within this. God had foreordained Moses to be the spiritual leader. Moses would be one of the premier patriarchs in the nation of Israel. And all even to this day within this. Moses' mother's name is Jochebed. Gave birth to Moses about 1526 B.C. Kept him alive for about three months. But couldn't keep him a secret anymore. Why? Because three-month-old babies cry a lot. When they're nursing, they sleep and you can hide them, but she couldn't. So what did she do? Jochebed made an ark. You say, well, it's a basket, Carrie. Yeah, but if you look at the original word in Hebrew, it's ark. It was a basket surrounded with pitch that was waterproof. And she took her child, Moses, and put him into the ark. And then put him into the river. Miriam, Moses' sister, would follow from a distance. Can you imagine being a mom saying, look at, I, 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 I can't do this anymore. And I cannot fathom watching my child get thrown into the river. So I'm going to place him in the river, but I'm going to give him a protection, this ark. Much like Noah was placed into an ark. Moses was placed into this ark, put into the reeds within this. And Miriam would, would follow at a distance within this. And she would watch to see what would happen. And it just so happened by chance. By chance? Pharaoh's daughter would come down and bathe in the Nile River. Her helpers were there and would look over and go, what is that? Maybe hear the baby cry within this, Exodus chapter 2, 6 to 10. And it says this in verses 9 and 10. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for himself. What happened? Pharaoh's daughter comes down. She's taken her bath. Her girls say, hey, look, at here's something. And they bring it over and they find it's a baby. Pharaoh's daughter, as you read the text, notes that it's a Hebrew baby. Her dad is the one that gave the edict that all Hebrew boys should be thrown into the river. Now she's in a dilemma. What do I do? Do I obey my father? Throw this child into the river? No. Miriam is there. She takes the child. And Miriam says, I know I've got a plan. And Moses is given to his mother. In fact, the rest of verses 9 and 10 says, to this, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, brought him to Pharaoh, the daughter, and became her son. And she named him Moses because I drew him out of the water. Does God have a plan? Yeah. But if you think about a rough childhood, I'm born into a nation that hates me. The government wants to kill me. I survived being put into the river by my own mother who had to let me go. But the resilience is, God had designed a plan for me to grow. And so Moses was given back to his mother, Jochebed, to be nursed, to be raised according to Hebrew tradition within that, prior to becoming the prince of Egypt. Within that. I think it's important to note that, that within this, even Pharaoh's daughter practiced civil disobedience within this. I think it's also important to note that God's hand was on Moses every step of the way in this time of adversity, even before Moses would even know that God had taken care of him. Can you think about your childhood? And growing up, 
Some of you may not have had the best childhood, the best parents. Some of you may have had to been put up for adoption. Or you're not living with your biological parents. Do you know that God's got a plan for you? And even in the adversity, God is going to have His way and you could bounce back for greatness for what God has for you within this. Moses would be raised as, as a Hebrew learning the culture and customs, but he was protected by God all along. Why? Because he is Pharaoh's daughter. He's the princess's daughter's child. No one will touch this child Moses in all of his days growing up. God was protecting him. Why? Because God was going to use him within this. And I think it's important for us to see that God was in relationship with Moses before Moses was in relationship with God. God's hand was on him in this. In Psalm 139, 4 and 6, it says this, Even before there was a word on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, You know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You laid Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I can't attain it. Take a moment. Think about how God's hand was on you before you ever knew Him. How God has guided your steps and protected you to get you to the place of where you're at today. Is it still full of adversity? Yes. But God doesn't make mistakes. And there's a tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. They act together. And you may have gone through some difficult times, but how you respond to those times and how you bounce back from those times is, is what's important within this. As chapter 2 goes on, verses 11 to 25, God's going to send Moses. He's going to grow him up. And the account moves forward. Moses is going to be trained in very difficult places within this. God prepares us for ministry in these hardships. In verses 2 through 11, we read about how the narrative moved forward. Moses had grown up as a Hebrew, but he also grew up as an Egyptian prince. And as the prince, the son of the, the daughter of Pharaoh, he would have access to all of these things. And again, it jumps ahead to now Moses is about the age of 40. How do we know that? You can read about it in Acts chapter 7, verse 23. So Moses is now 40 years of age, and he recognizes the, the oppression of the Egyptians against the Hebrews. You all know the account. Moses comes out, and he's looking at this Egyptian guard harassing and, and hurting and oppressing his Hebrew brothers within this. And he gets mad, and he looks around when no one's looking, and what does he do to the Egyptian? Kills him. Buries him, hoping that no one would take place, or no one would know. He was the deliverer, but he wasn't called to be the deliverer or empowered for that yet. Now, we know that there's a little bit more insight that was going on, not in Exodus, but what was really going on in Pharaoh's heart. You have to go to Hebrews to find it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, it says this, By faith Moses when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Moses growing up knew that he was being raised by somebody other than his mom and his culture. He let the best get out of him. He got ahead of it. And then, as the account comes out, he comes out at the age of 40, finds two Hebrews fighting against each other. You've got to understand, your sin is going to find you out. And he blew it. He really blew it in, in killing the Egyptian. And he goes to these two Hebrews that are fighting against each other, and he goes to stop them. And if you read the account, one of them says, what, are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian the other day? And he's been caught. What is he going to do now? Well, we know that he runs away. In fact, Pharaoh gets angry and wants to now kill Moses. So Moses has to run away. Moses now has no Hebrew home. And now he has no Egyptian home. 
So where does he go? He goes to the land called Midian. I showed it to you on the map. I'll show you again within this. Midian is this area that's here. Moses would have fled through the Sinai Peninsula out here into this area of Midian a long way away. This was still under Egyptian occupation, but it was a long way away from Egypt. And one Hebrew runaway is not going to warrant Pharaoh chasing after him. So he goes out to this wilderness area and he learns. God will take us in adversity to a place to teach us. It's it, What Satan wants, as we learned last week with Joseph, to use for evil to break you, God will use for good. Why out in Midian? Why would he go out to Midian? Well, in Moses' mind, it's a long ways away. And in this wilderness area, he would learn to lead the people. Now, within this, Moses would, would, again, feel isolated. This isn't the only time that Moses' life was in threatened. Later in the wilderness, in Exodus chapter 17, 4, it says, So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, what shall I do these people, to these people a little more? They want to stone me. Moses is abandoned, more or less, by his, his people. They don't want him as a deliverer. He's abandoned or rejected by the Egyptians. And now, later on, he'll be out there. Everybody wants to kill him. Can you imagine being a leader and nobody really wanting to follow after you? Always arguing with you? Do you think it would be easy to lead the children of Israel through this wilderness area? No. But what did he need to learn? Well, at age 40, he goes out to the wilderness area. A place of exile. But this was all part of God's plan. Why? Moses needed to learn to be a shepherd. He needed to be humble. He needed to get to the place where he would learn how to live simply. And he needed to learn the land. Why? Because it was God's intention 40 years from the time that he got there to 80 when he's called into ministry to go back to Egypt and lead all the people out of Egypt and into the land. Question. Could Moses have quit any time? Sure. But God hadn't even called him to ministry, so there wasn't anything to quit from. He was just living life. He was living life in adversity. He he really didn't understand God's calling on his life. He wouldn't understand that until the age of 80 within this. He just continues to live. We know based on the account in in, um, Genesis that he marries a descendant of Abraham named Keturah. Keturah and, and those that were in there in the Midianites, and her dad was Jethro, were all nomadic leaders, shepherds, moving throughout the land within this. And so within this, he would marry the, the daughter of a priest of the Midianites. He would raise a family. He'd have two sons. And he'd start all over again. And I thought about this. How many people do you know have had to start life over again? When adversity has come, and, and, and really not by your own choice, but adversity has moved you to a place where you've got to start all over again. And so at age 40, he's got to start all over again. And he goes out and he meets his wife within this, and he has kids, and he'll live for another 40 years. Within this. This brings us forward to Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. In the meantime, between this calling, what I wanted to focus on was a number of different elements that will take place. He goes out, and at the age of 80, Moses would receive a calling from the Lord. It jumps ahead in, in the Exodus account, actually in, in chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the blazing fire from 
the midst of the burning bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and the bush was not consumed. In verse 4, he says, When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called him from the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, Here I am. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. At the age of 80, Moses, you're going to start over again. Now, Exodus 3, we have this account of the burning bush. You've all seen Charlton Heston when he was like talking to the bush and the voice. I showed it to you a while back. I want to show you, it was here in the Jebel Elaz, in this area. This is Mount Sinai. Do you remember this area of Midian here? This is where he was. We're going to get to this Mount Sinai in a moment, but within this. Moses is hanging out, 80 years of age. It's a very rocky, desolate place. He's shepherding these flocks, and this bush is burning, and he's looking at it and going, that's kind of odd. Why would this bush start burning? And then the bush started talking. That's really odd. Why is the bush talking to me? You know what's important to understand? God had been with Moses all his life. But it wasn't until the age of 80 that God first started actually talking with Moses. He introduces himself and he has this conversation with him. And within this, we realize that Moses at the age of 80 is really going to start ministry, which is a blessing. So for all of you that are older, God's got ministry for you. Just because you're in your 60s, 70s, or 80s, God's not done with you yet. And I can tell you this, if you see a burning bush, go talk to it. No, I'm just kidding. But you look at this. It's amazing. He hears the voice of God. He finally hears the voice of God. He was reluctant to answer the calling. We know the account. Moses, I want you to go. I don't talk very well. I, I want you to go. I don't talk very well. Fine, I'm going to send Aaron. And we start this initiation of activity at the age of 80. But from 80 to the time that Moses dies, he hears this conversation with God continually within this. God would give him in Exodus 7 all the way to chapter 11 the role of a deliverer. God would continually talk with him. Moses, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh. He's not going to listen to me. Tell him I am. Go do this plague. Go do this plague. Go do this plague. Go do ten times the plagues. Plus the, the, the whole incident with the staff turning into snakes. Because God wanted to prove to Pharaoh that he was greater than Pharaoh and all the gods of the Nile and all the gods of Egypt. God, go to these people. They're going to be a rebellious people. God says to Moses, go to them and, and to do this. And all of this to prove God's sovereignty. How did Moses make it through the continual rejection and adversity in Egypt? He continually heard the voice of God. Okay, so they get out through the wilderness they cross the Red Sea. He leads the people out. And he calls them up to go up to Mount Sinai within this. I want to show you a picture, a couple of different pictures. This is the satellite view of what I believe to be the real Mount Sinai. I want you to notice the charring at the top. This mountain is called Jabal Elal's. And it's in Midian. It is not St. Catherine's. The traditional St. Catherine's Mount Sinai has absolutely no charring at the top of the mountain. This, this is a satellite view of the top of this mountain. The other interesting thing is when you go to the top of the mountain, if we can have the next slide, this is what the up-close rock looks like on that edge. And you can see a distinct line. When you break those rocks open... They are charred on the outside, but they are perfectly fine on the inside. They have found encampments all around Jebel Elaz that shows that millions of people were there, including a rock that was split like this, that is smooth on the inside, jagged on the outside, that looks like water flowed straight through that. 
They've also found an altar that is right next to this mountain. And so within this, we see this. But the text tells us in Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, Moses went up to the mountain, went up to God. Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. For these words shall I speak to you. When we take a look at this account, what we have is God speaking to Moses. Moses now speaking to the people on this mountain, and God is speaking communication. Why? Because he wants them to be spiritually resilient throughout the wilderness. I will be with you. You're not on your own. Moses was an exiled criminal, a rejected person from Hebrew, and he's talking to God. Do not let your past define you. When you go through hardships and if you have to start over or whatever the case is, your communication with God is essential to make it through. In regular communication with God, in Exodus 19.20, it says, The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top. Moses went up. In verse 22 of, of Exodus 20, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. It was to be a testimony. Your communication with God is essential for spiritual resilience. If you stop talking to God... You will not bounce back from adversity. But when you are continually receiving and hearing from the Lord, you will make it through all the difficult times. Chapter 33, verse 37, or through, 7 through 11. We read how Moses continually met, so they would go to the wilderness. Now, as you read the account of Exodus, Moses goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down off the mountain, what does he see? They're worshiping a Baal. Moses said, how did this get here? Aaron says, I don't know. They threw the gold into the fire. Out jumps this Baal. I don't know. Moses gets mad, breaks the Ten Commandments. He's, he, and, and with all this, there's a judgment that takes place. Now he needs to, to come back and, and restore that relationship within this. We see God had intended in delivering His people, and He will talk to them once again. So what did God do? He says, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to set up a tent of meeting. As you can see, this tent of meeting is just a goat hair tent. It's nothing fancy. This is not the tabernacle. The tabernacle had not been given yet by design. This tent is different than the tabernacle. The tabernacle, which was another tent, would be in the middle of the nation of Israel with all the nations facing the center of it. This would be outside of the camp. And when Moses would go out to talk with God, he'd go out here with Joshua and all the people would see Moses going out. And when the cloud would come down, God talking to Moses, all the people would begin to worship. Why? Because God is speaking to us through Moses. We failed God. We worshipped idols. I'm not done with you yet. I'm still going to talk. I want to talk. I want to spend time. I want to give you guidance. I want to give you direction. And until the tabernacle was built... The tent of meeting was the place where Moses would meet with God. It would be the place where Moses, as we read earlier, would have these face-to-face -face relationships with God. Not that he saw God, because you can't see God, but it talks about this, this intimacy. We know that, according to Numbers chapter 12, 6-8, says this, He said, Hear now my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. 
and not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are you afraid not to speak against my servant Moses? When Aaron and Miriam were speaking against Moses, God said to them, Look it, I'll talk to other people through dreams and visions. Moses, face to face. How do you make it through adversity? Leading over a million people throughout a wilderness experience. They're always complaining. They're not getting along. They're frustrating. And and all of these different things. The only way you're going to make it is your personal relationship with God. Communication with Him. If you want to take down these notes, you can read in Deuteronomy chapter 32 to chapter 34. Moses' final meeting with God. Specifically in Deuteronomy 34, verse 1 and verses 4 and 5. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan. And then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but... You shall not go over there. And so Moses, the Lord of the servant, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. As you continue to read through Exodus, God told Moses to speak to the rock so water would come out at Mount Sinai. It happened. Later on, the people got frustrated. They complained again. Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, hits the rock. God says, because you misrepresented me, you don't get to go in the land. How do you bounce back from that kind of a judgment? You stay in communication with God. And on top of Mount Nebo, when we go to Israel, we go to the top of Mount Nebo, you can see the vast array of the valley. And God has a conversation. Do you know what's amazing to me about this? It didn't matter how badly Moses blew it. God still talked with him. God still blessed him. I'll show you the land. I will then take your life and I will bury you someplace that nobody will find you. We know later in Scripture that the demons contend over the body of Moses. But no one can make a shrine out. It's encouraging to me to know that even when we blow it, God doesn't stop talking to us. What do we learn? God was already involved in Moses' life before Moses knew it. Moses would not hear the voice of God until 80. He would continue on for many more years until the end of his life. But from 80 to the end of his life, he heard the voice of God. And God spoke loudly. Having this established relationship with God is essential for making it through adversity. Having regular communication, daily communication. I would encourage you to find your tent of meeting. Where is your tent of meeting? Is it your bedroom? Is it your favorite chair in your living room? Is it a place in your backyard. Maybe it's a place up on the hill. Where do you go to talk with God? Where do you go to let God talk to you? To hear? When you're going through hard times, you're not going to feel like talking to God. But you must talk to God. Because it's the only way you're going to find guidance for your life. Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that That, God, you are involved with our life. You are always involved in our life. Even before we know you, you're already involved. And then even through hardship and adversity, God, you're there guiding us. And when we come to a place of knowing who you are and knowing your presence, you always afford to us the opportunity to communicate with us. And even when we blow it, you'll still talk with us. 
And there may be consequences for our actions, but you never abandon us. God, I thank you for the life of Moses. I thank you for the example that he is on how to bounce back through adversity and to be able to live life according to you. We praise you and we thank you. As we go out today, Lord, may we honor you. And and Father, even during this last song, may we crave to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. until we're listening, so may we become listeners. May we seek out that communication with you that will guide us through adversity. May we not be a people that only cry out to you when we're in trouble. But may we praise you when everything's good. Lord, I thank you that you are always speaking. May we become people that always listen. We praise you and we thank you for your word, your message this morning. And as we go out this day, may we bring that good news to others who need to hear you. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.